And, and in my first semester as a pre-seminary student, um, I, I took Greek, like introduction to biblical Greek, right? And, and um, I, I, I was not a very good student. I know it's probably hard to believe, um, but I, I made it through high school um, being clever, right? Like it's easy to get through high school when you're clever, and then you get to college, and all of a sudden clever doesn't cut it, like because you actually have to know stuff. Um, and, and so Greek was this awful rude awakening for me, because if you're going to learn a foreign language, you have to study. And you have to study not in big chunks all at once. You have to study daily, a little bit every day, a little bit every day, a little bit every day. And I, I was not good at that. Um, and so I, I started this class. I was in a 500-student private college. It was the same college my dad went to when they first opened. He was in one of the first, the first classes, like the first graduating classes at this college in the, in the um, 50s, I think. Uh, <laughs> something like that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, that's not right. No, 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 no. It, that's not right because it'd be in the 70s. <laughs> this will be a great opportunity to find out if my parents listen to the sermons online. Um, but as it happened, <laughs> as it happened, um, the teacher of this particular class um, was, uh, was somebody who knew my dad in school. Right, and we—I remember when I first met him, we talked about my dad and what he was like when he was younger and all that. And and so I, I started taking this class, and I did not do very well because all of my poor habits as a student caught up with me. And and really, like you sit down to do a language, particularly a language that's like not even with English letters. I mean, Greek is scribbly, right? And so when you sit down to do a language, you you there's very little give, right? There's there's no give. In fact, you you don't. If you can't read the letters, you can't read the letters. If you can't write the letters, you can't write the letters. And I, I kind of stumbled through the first half, and I was, I was, you know, reasonably potentially going to pass, not well, um, if I did well on the final. Now, he gave us, like, a whole session to discuss the final. And he said, this is what you're going to be doing. All of the translation will be from the book. And you'll have to do this. You know, you have to do verb conjugation. I think that's what you do with verbs, right? Um, <laughs> and all of these other things. And I, I, spent, I spent a day, right? Not a little bit every day, mind you. This is my heroic studying effort. This is my strong suit. I spent a day just studying and trying to learn Greek. As it turns out, you can't learn Greek in a day. Um, and I realized this about 9 or 10 o'clock that evening when I decided that the only way I was going to do anything well was to memorize, you know, he said all the translation was from the book, and we had a textbook. And so I sat down, and from 9 until about 8 o'clock the next morning, I memorized what every sentence in that book looked like. And I could translate every one of them from memory. Um, And I, I went into that class, and I sat down, and he said, you have two hours to do this test, handed them out, room full of people, I sat down, looked at the verb conjugation, couldn't do it, flipped the page, looked at you know, the English to Greek, couldn't do that, flipped the page, Greek section, one-third of the test, I filled it out in less than five minutes, I went back, looked at the stuff I didn't know how to do again, got up, turned it in, and the, the, the professor was surprised, because <laughs> it took me about ten minutes 
And, and he called me in later in the day. And he said, well, you, you kind of peaked early. Um, he said, you, you are not passing my class. <laughs> you, are, you are really far from passing it. He said, but because your dad is my friend, I will give you a D minus if you agree not to take Greek too. Um, and, I, and I passed. Did I deserve to pass? No, not at all. Um, in fact, really not at all. Um, my, my wife took a weed out course in college where she got a, a B or a C with like 5%. And, and mine was pretty close. Um, it wasn't a weed out class. Um, we're talking about grace. And that was grace, right? Grace is when you are given something you do not deserve, right? And you cannot possibly earn. It's when God looks at your answer sheet in the end. And every one of us will be looked at very critically, and it is not a little bit of gray, little bit of gray, little bit of gray. It is a you know it or you don't know it, right? But it's not about know it. It's what did you do with my law? And on that day, God will say, well, did you follow it perfectly? No. Anybody here doing well? No. The only way you earn your way into heaven is by following the law perfectly. And we can't do it. Because all, first off, because it's darn near impossible. And second of all, we're like inclined to sin, Right? We're good at it. Go with your strengths. No, don't do that. I, I need to be careful. I'm sorry. This is me relying on your grace way too much. Um, over the last few weeks, we've talked about what grace is, right? Grace is God's gift of salvation to us. He sent his son to die for us, to take punishment for the sin that we've committed. He took all of that wrath that God had toward our accumulated sin, and, and we're forgiven if we are like in him, right? Um, and that's grace. Can't earn it, don't deserve it, given to us. Um, and so we talked about what grace is. We talked about how our attitude ought to be toward ourselves and others as grace is applied. Um, we have talked about, uh, um, last week, John should have talked about the, um, the enemy of grace, right? The enemy of grace is legalism, right? Legalism is where you look at the rules and you say, I'm going to earn my way there even though it says I can't. Right? And, and legalism, you know, it, it's a bad thing. And John, it, the sermon's online, I think, or will be by the end of the day, um, if you want to listen to it. Um, but that is where you look at grace and you say, I don't need God's gift. I'm going to earn it. Right? This week, we're going to be looking at the opposite. We're going to look at the abuse of grace. And that's where you come up on grace and you say, oh, I'm forgiven? Well, let me go ahead and take advantage of that. Right? It's like a teenager with a parent's credit card. Oh, you're paying for this? <laughs> Let me go and have some fun. Um, and so this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing it from Romans. And a little bit of background here. Uh, Romans was written by Paul to a city he had never visited. Right? He was planning on coming to Rome, and he was going to use it as a base of operation for doing mission trips into Spain. Right? And so that was the plan. And so Paul sends an introductory letter, which is what Romans is, and it is a theological treatise, which is a big word, and he's basically saying, like what he's doing is he says, this is what I believe, right? And so as you bring me in as a missionary so I can go out and work, I want to make sure we're all on the same page, right? And Romans um, is a down-the-line, like, definition 
of how God's um, mercy works, how judgment works, how sin works, the whole nine yards. It is a very full book. We're not doing the whole thing today. Um, the audience for this was the church in Rome, um, but these guys were a little different. Um, there was a large Jewish community, and a bunch of them became Christians, right? And then the Jewish folks and the Christian folks stopped getting along, and there were some fights and maybe some riots. And a guy named Claudius, who was emperor of Rome, said to everybody who even looked Jewish, you're all out of here. And he exported them all. And so you had a church that was all Jewish Christians and people called God-fearers. And those God-fearers were the only ones who were left because they weren't Jewish. God-fearers were people who were trying to become Jewish and then, you know, in this case, became Christians. And so they followed the laws, tried to follow them perfectly, and they got right up to the point where they would have been um, circumcised. If you don't know what that is, ask your mom and dad when you get home. Um, and, and instead, like, these guys just became Christians. Um, oh, I don't have to earn it. I get grace because Jesus died for me? I'm in. And so that's who Paul's writing to is these guys who were like the remnant, right? They were Gentile Christians who had previously been trying to be Jews. There were probably a few Gentile Christians anyway, but, like, that's who the audience is. It's important. We'll get to why. Um, now, in this section, Paul is comparing Adam. Everybody knows who Adam is, right? Adam was the first man. Adam disobeyed God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? He had one rule. You had one job. He had one rule, and he broke it. And when he broke that rule, sin came into the world. And so Paul talks about how sin is in the world, and he compares it to God's grace as it comes through Jesus. Everybody with me? All right. Um, and so he's comparing over and over again. And he's like, if you read the whole chapter, it's things like, and the, the sin was unlike, you know, the atonement because through one man's sin, Adam, like death came into the world. But through one man's obedience, Jesus, life came into the world. And so it's this whole series of contrasts Paul is doing. And I didn't want to do the whole chapter because, honestly, we'd be here until next Sunday. It's, there's a lot to talk about. Um, but just heads up, like that's what the context is. Um, as we jump into it, we're in Romans 5, 18 uh, to 19. There are Bibles in the pews, um, most of them. If there aren't, I'll put new ones in. Um, sorry. Uh, but it's good to follow along with the paper in your hand. It's a good thing. Um, so 5, 18 to 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, which I just said. Um, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Um, what Paul is basically saying, he's comparing the sin to the grace, right? Through Jesus' act of obedience, through Jesus' submission to God's will, um, through Jesus' perfect obedience to the law, um, we are given righteousness. Now, righteousness, as Paul is using it in this thing, is like right relationship with God, right? Everybody with me? There are times when I am not in right relationship with, like, my wife, and we're fighting and we're not on good terms, right? If she were to move out and, like, go home to Texas, um, I, I would be really out of right relationship with her, right? Usually I'm just in a little trouble. Usually. <laughs> Um, but that's what righteousness is. It's us in relation to God where instead of God looking at us and being like, okay, it's, it's time to squish you guys. Like we come into right relationship where our rebellion ends and we're in right relationship. So through Jesus, God puts us 
in relationship with him again, not because we deserve it, but because God loves us and is offering us grace. Um, perhaps you've been in a situation with a family member or a spouse or somebody, something where they have screwed up so big that you could show them the door, right? Teenagers are that way sometimes. Uh, and you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did this. And, and you forgive instead of holding on, right? That's basically what God does. He sets us in right relationship. Um, through Jesus' obedience, we're in right relationship with God. He gets a perfect score on the test, and God erases his name and writes ours. Got it? That's how you pass Greek, if you ever need to. 20 to 21. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace also abounded all the more. Now, watch this. There was a period of time before the Ten Commandments came, right? Um, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Sin was in the world. People were covered in sin and infected with sin and all that other stuff. But, like, you didn't really know what sin was, right? Like, it wasn't clearly defined. And so God sends the law, and that then we knew what sin was, right? And then all of a sudden the flesh, the evil part of us, had an enemy to fight. And it's, oh, those are the rules? Well, let me break them. Um, and, and, you know, I, you see this still in our world today where people find ways around every little rule or find ways to push it just a little bit farther. Titus has just started doing this. I, I watched him the other day. I said, Titus, do not go over there. You know, we were, I don't even know where we were. But he's standing there in his little cowboy boots. And I said, Titus, you stay right here. And he took a little step and he turned around. And then he stood there, took another little step. <laughs> and he turned around. And then he nonchalantly took another step and he slowly worked his way. He knew what he was doing was wrong, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't have hidden it. But because there was a rule there, he wanted to assert his will. And that's basically what we all do. You give me a rule, I will assert my will and break it. Um, it is, is because we're sinful by nature. Um, and so when the law came, sin increased, meaning like, like they found out what the law was, and they said, all right, let's do this thing. Let's, and so sin went from being kind of, a, kind of a, a common thing to being a huge thing. And people found new and exciting ways to sin. Um, and even in response, what God did was he said, I am not going to squish all of you. I'm going to give you more grace meaning you're sinning more, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to love you and I'm going to forgive even more. There's an important principle here, right? Um, I have met folks who have done bad things in their lives. I'm a person who has done bad things in my life. Um, all of you are people who have sinned, right? You cannot outrun God's mercy, right? I, I knew a gal who was 16 and she was in a treatment facility for drugs and she had... Um, done a lot of really terrible things to get money to buy drugs. And she was sitting there talking to me, and she's just bawling, and she's like, God can't love me. You have no idea where I've been and what I've done. I'm ashamed of everything I've done for the last ten years. You have no idea. God cannot possibly forgive me. And that is a lie, right? If we can sin bigger than God can forgive then God can't forgive very much, right? Like our God is capable of enormous, endless mercy and endless grace, right? And that's what he has offered to us in Christ. No matter how big I manage to sin, God can forgive me. Now this is where it gets tricky. Um, 
So that leading to uh, righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, what shall we say then? This is six one. Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Which is sort of the natural response. Wait a minute. If God's going to let me do whatever I want, shouldn't I keep sinning? Right? If I've got the credit card, shouldn't I use it? Um, or to, to put it a little more closely to what Paul is saying, Paul is saying, look, if God forgives even more and that brings glory to God, shouldn't I sin even more so that God can forgive me even more and that will be even more glorified? Well, that's a terrible way to think, isn't it? It's a convoluted way to think, but right, it's pretty natural. Like It is a sinful way to think, and we are sinful. We manage it. We're good at it. Um, why does he bring this up? Well, for starters, it wasn't a new idea. People were doing this already, right? This is something that had come along, and there had already been accusations about this. In fact, I see this still today. I, uh, I was talking with somebody um, a while back now, and, and he said, well, if you believe God forgives you no matter what, then, like, you're just going to sin all you want, and that's how you live. What? <laughs> no, I don't. I just believe that God has grace for me. Well, but if you don't believe that you have to earn part of it, then, of course, you're going to sin all you want. That's how you live. That's how all of you people live. No, that's not it, right? But there are people who make this accusation, and they tend to be legalist, right? See John's sermon. Um, <laughs> but... Um, well, well, there are other ways this sneaks in that's a little more tricky, and we'll get to that at the end. We're going to finish up with what Paul is saying. So Paul says, you know, should we continue to sin that grace may abound so there's even more grace? That's a good thing? Um, and Paul responds, by no means. Now, the phrasing of this is a little odd. It is basically the strongest way you can say, absolutely not, right? It is the response you give your teenager, your 16-year-old, when he asks for the Ferrari for, for his birthday, Absolutely not, right? Um, Paul is saying it loud and strong, no. This is, you know, may it not be so. Exactly the opposite is true. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Um, Meaning, if I was one way and I died that way of life, can I go back to it? No. Um, I uh, worked... When I was at the home, I worked with uh, um, with drug addicts and alcoholics and these guys, and, and it was easy to love them. They were all very energetic and awesome. And, and as they would go through aftercare, you would see where they would realize that they couldn't go back to their old life. They would say, you know what, I cannot do these things anymore because it's killing me. But the problem is if I go hang out with the guys I used to hang out with, it's right there, right? So i got to give up that life. I can't go and, you know, I've talked to guys who get, get like, mourn. I can't go to bars anymore. Can't go hang out. But why not? Well, because if I do, I'll be there. You cannot go back to a life that you've died to. Um, it would be a little like, we talked about Lazarus several months ago. Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. Had Lazarus come to the door of the tomb and said, guys, I need five more minutes. <laughs> and went back in just to enjoy the, the, the dirt nap a little longer. And I, I'm so sorry. I should not have said that. I, <laughs> please forgive me. Um, I, I, you know, it, it's like saying, well, I need to go back to being dead for just a bit longer. Come on, just let me have that. Um, in the end, like if we've died to sin, if this old way of life is over, then it's over. 
Um, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Meaning, so like baptism, when we do baptism here at Church of God, we do immersion, right? Like we have a big horse trough, and we put people in the horse trough, and we dunk you completely, and we bring you out. And the Jews saw this as symbolic of being buried, right? Because water in Jewish world, like you see water... In the Bible, oftentimes it's associated with death and chaos, right? And so you'd be immersed into the water. It would be like being buried and brought up out of it into new life, right? So it's your death to your old life and your resurrection. So when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death, meaning Jesus died for me. My old life dies with him, and I am a new creation. Um, I have been brought into new life. Um, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Jesus died. He was buried. And then he rose again, right? We are dead in trespasses and sin if we do not know Jesus, right? We are out of relationship with God, right? We are, um, our, 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 our intimate connection with God is severed. We are reconnected, and we are resurrected into a new life, right? Which means living a new life. Um, God brings us into new life for the purpose of living that new life. Next Saturday, anybody know what's happening next Saturday? A wedding. A wedding. Um, Daniel and Rebecca are getting married. Now, if Daniel, who is a bachelor right? Which means he doesn't do his dishes, right, Michael? Um, <laughs> um, if Daniel, who is a bachelor, um, down the aisle, says I do, nobody objects, right? Um, Larry doesn't have to shoot anyone. Um, at the end of the ceremony, kisses his bride and says, hey, it is wonderful being married to you. I'm heading home. And then jumps in the car and drives back to his house or to Michael's house, I guess. And, and, you know, goes back to bachelor living, right? Eats his bachelor chow, watches TV late, throws his socks on the floor, the whole nine yards, like, does the bachelor thing, leaving his wife behind. Like, that would be insane, right? Amen. <laughs> um, um, he dies to this old life and joins in to a new one. And then he'll have to take up practices associated with the new life. He'll have to move into a new house, which probably means next door. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, <laughs> um, but, but once he's married, he steps into a new way of life, right? The old way of life dies. The new way of life begins. As people who are in Christ, meaning I come along, I say, Jesus died for my sins, right? I will follow him. I, I, I want to be forgiven, I want this. I want this new life. Um, it means, like, becoming connected to him. And instead of going home and, you know, kicking our socks on the floor and kicking our feet up and watching TV like, like The Bachelor, we join into a relationship. Um, everybody with me? There's a tricky thing that happened in the late 1800s um, during the Second Great Awakening. Some of you all know what that is. Some of you don't. It doesn't matter. Um, there was a huge spiritual growth that happened. Lots of churches appeared. Church of God came out of that. Yay. 
Um, <laughs> uh, Methodist came out, like became huge during that period, like appeared and became huge. There are a lot of denominations that were born. And one of the things that happened during the Second Great Awakening, there, was, there were some guys like Charles Finney who came along and said, what if we sold the gospel better? When we tell people about Jesus, we'll do a better job of selling it, and more people will follow him. And it seems like a really noble idea. But there's something that came out of that that can be problematic. And that is, um, instead of saying, commit your life to Jesus, they would say, accept Jesus. Right? Accept Jesus. And that's not necessarily a terrible thing, but what ends up happening sometimes, and I've met people for years and years who do this, they say, well, I had my accept Jesus moment. And now I'm going back to the way things were because I'm forgiven. I bought my fire insurance. And now I'm going back to bachelorhood. And in reality, if we die to the old life and we are brought into new life, like pulled up out of the ground dead, like into new life, then we have to live a new life. Do we earn things by living a new life? Absolutely not. You cannot earn it, period, right? But... We follow Jesus because we appreciate the grace God has given us, and we love Christ for, like, taking punishment for us, right? If somebody took every bad thing I ever did and made it as far as the east is from the west away from me, I would appreciate that, right? I would. I, uh, I have college debt. If somebody paid off my college debt tomorrow, hint, hint, um, and paid off my house in Indiana tomorrow, hint, hint, um, I, we would be friends, and I would appreciate you. And you know what? You may not ask me to, but I'd probably come mow your lawn occasionally, right? And I would probably try to spend time talking to you. Why would I do that? Because I appreciate it. And because I, you know, I love you for what you did for me or might do for me in the next week or so. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> this is where the new life begins. New life is as a result of, like, God making us new. And we move into this new life by being in relationship with Christ and following him as Lord, right? Lord is something that's lost a lot of meaning, like, like in our culture. But what Paul would say, he compares, like, oh, well, I'm a slave to righteousness, meaning this is how I live because this is how I live, right? This is the life I live. I try to be good. I try to follow Jesus. Do you earn salvation? No. Got it? No, but following Jesus is about taking on more than just forgiveness. It's about new life. It's about coming away from the old sin, the stuff that like, like was weights around our feet dragging us down, right? Um, while it is the case that, um, ah, I'm going to skip over that, sorry, um, while it is the case, wow, it was like four slides. What was I thinking? Um, while it is the case that there are folks who through the centuries have done this, like where they've said, oh, well, I'm forgiven. I'll sin, right? I can. Um, that's not the only way it's appeared. And I'm going to give you some examples of things that we see. When we come into life as Christians and we say, um, like, that's it, and we live as though it's not true or where it has no bearing on who we were. Or we're Daniel sitting at home like a bachelor while we have a pretty young bride like next door, right? That would be that. It would be pretending, not even acknowledging that it's true. Just picking up your, oh, there's my door prize. <laughs> I'm not running for Pope. I'm just, you know, here to get into heaven. Thanks. Um, that would be an abuse of grace, right? That's, oh, I'm forgiven. I can keep sinning. 
because then I'm forgiven even more, and that's great, right? Um, Another example of this is when we um, ignore the relationship we're meant to have with God. What does that mean? It means um, Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, saw a lot of problems with the the official church in Daneland. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Denmark. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Michael. Um, It saw a lot of problems with the official church in Denmark because people would go, and the assumption was, if I show up, I'm going to heaven. But they would live lives that were not changed in any way. You could not tell the difference between that guy and a guy who was not a follower of Jesus Like, if you watch them all day one day, you just couldn't tell the difference. He said, this is a problem because one is, like, they're both without life. If we live ignoring the relationship, I show up to church on Sundays, I do my giving, I contribute to the bake sale. We're not having a bake sale. I paid off the the graduate tuition funds from my pastor. It was a really nice thing to do. You know, but that's it. I pay my way. I'm done doesn't work that way, right? That is an abuse of grace because we are saved, right, for the purpose of, like, having a relationship with God. And so it means talking to him. If I didn't talk to my wife anymore, like, I started coming home, I flip the TV on, I turn it on real loud when she tries to talk to me. Honey, we need to talk about the kids. Hold on. <laughs> um, that would damage my relationship with her, right? If I came, came and went as I pleased... That would damage our relationship. If we just lived in the same house, that would damage our relationship. Um, this is what sometimes folks do with Jesus, right? Well, we're, we're, we're there. Don't worry. But we don't need to talk. I don't need to spend time with you. I don't need to actually love you. I just need to show up to church on Sundays. That's an abuse of grace, um, which can fall into legalism really easy, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, there was a time in my life, and I've known people who've done that, done this where they um, fall into a pattern of sin and they don't even try to fix it. They just say sorry when they're done, right? And I I can remember years where I would be like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm such a terrible person. Oh, you must hate me, but please, I know you've forgiven me, so thanks. And then I'd go on and I'd be back in my sin like five minutes later. (laughs) When I said, oh, sorry about that, God. I'm going to keep going now. I apologize. I was emotional even. Sorry. Um, It's not about not sinning. It's about striving to be what you're meant to be, right? I read a great book on marriage recently, and I've got this new image of what I want to be as a husband, and I try really hard to be that, and guess what? I'm not perfect. And I get frustrated sometimes. I'm like, oh, I'm not perfect. I can't do it. Should I try? Yeah. <laughs> I knew you would do it. I Thank you, honey. Um, we strive towards perfection even if we aren't getting there, Right? Um, because it's a part of what we're supposed to do. If I fail while I'm striving, I fail while I'm striving. Um, God desires that we strive towards righteousness, towards holiness, to be presentable and perfect for him. Um, when we ignore our sins and maybe even go so far as to speak out against it, this kills me when I hear about a TV evangelist, right? Everybody knows this story, um, who rails against one sin, And, like, his whole ministry is built about this one sin. And then it comes out that he's been doing it himself, right? Um, I can speak loudly about other people's sins if I'm ignoring my own. I am not. I am not doing anything worth doing. I'm trying to. I'm basically like, oh, grace abounds. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Um, 
there's a reality that we all will struggle, right? I, I'm going to let you, not let you off the hook, but I'm going to let you in on this. We all sin. We will all continue to struggle to sin. As we pursue a relationship with Jesus, we'll be half-hearted in it, even though we don't want to be, right? Because it's the human condition. The difference is you get up and you push harder and you work toward that intimacy. You don't lean on grace as a way of saying, oh, well, I'm forgiven, it's okay, I'm done. Um, why is this important? Because grace is the most like, amazing thing you can receive, right? Knowledge that God forgives you no matter how much. Even when you were his enemy, he forgave you. Forgave you knowing that you would probably continue to sin, or you would definitely continue to sin. Um, grace is so, so powerful. Um, but as you have it, it has to change you. I gave my wife a Mother's Day gift. I'm going to pick on you. I gave her a French horn. When she, years and years she loved playing when she was younger, and she hasn't been able to play because we don't own one, and we never made enough money to buy one, so I bought her a French horn. And, and my wife can take that French horn home and she can set it on the dresser in our bedroom and never touch it again. She has it. She can actually, I watched her in the store. She sat down and she blew into it. She threatened me if I filmed it, she would shoot me. Um, I don't know how she would do that with a French horn. I'm sure there's some sort of technical part. Like, I don't know where the bullets go, but whatever. But as she sits down, right, every day, and works at it. Is it perfect yet, honey? <laughs> As she sits down every day and works at it, it's going to get better. Is she ever going to be done? No, right? She's going to continue to work at it. If she stops working at it, the music she makes will be not very good. The life we live pursuing intimacy with God, having received grace, creates a harmony. And you see it in the lives of some folks. Have any of y'all ever met a believer who was so perfect at doing it that you, you swear you were talking to Jesus every time you talked to him? I've known a few, actually. Um, there are a handful of y'all here, which is fantastic. That is what we do with grace. We walk with Jesus, we work on that relationship, and we grow to a point where we make beautiful music with our lives. And it touches the folks around us, and they say, I want that. And they know Jesus because... Um, the grace God gives us is worth is worth it. Does Jess earn anything by practicing French horn? Not really. I might tease her more. Um, at the end of the day, though, what she does is she develops it, right? She makes beautiful music. And, and my challenge for you guys this week is to look at your life, look at your heart, um, and ask yourself, where am, I, where am I at? Am I abusing the grace Jesus has given me? Am I living as though it's not true? Or am I striving to make beautiful like music with him? Am I, am I becoming more like him? Am I drawing closer to him? Is the alarm beeping in my head this morning and telling me I need to get on this? I need to stop abusing grace and I need to be in, like, <laughs> sorry, I need to be in my relationship. And so that's my challenge to you this week. Look at your life, look at your heart, look at where you're at. Are you abusing it or are you living as though it's true? Are you practicing it? Are you walking with him? Are you loving Jesus? We're going to close in prayer, and I will let you all go. Heavenly Father, I praise you for the gift that is Jesus. I praise you for the grace you give us, 
for the forgiveness that you just pour out on us, the, the, the new life you give us, Lord. And I, I thank you for that, that opportunity to live different. I pray that you would touch the hearts of everyone here, that they would know you more intimately, that they would walk in newness of life, in freedom um, to be a new creation, um, but that they would live as though freedom is the purpose they were set free for. Help them to be in relationship with Jesus. Help them to, to draw closer to him. Help them to give their whole heart to him, knowing that it's, it's, it's not showing up on Sundays. It's intimacy with you. It's being under Jesus' lordship and in Jesus that matters. In Christ's name, amen. Long. <laughs>